0: I guess y'all noticed Grady. It's sign of poor raising in the home. Is there anybody in this uh, group of folks that has never sung the wise man song? I mean, no one. Whenever I was, I wanted that, a video of some kids singing that. And so I got, first I got on the internet and started looking around. And there was a bunch of them. And I, I contacted Diane, told her that I'd like to have that. And she looked around and found some. But then uh, I think it was Angela and or, or, uh, Grady's mom. What's her name? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Sarah, uh, uh, I just had our kids do it, and I I think it's great. But it's a song that those of us, probably all of us learned it at mostly, probably Vacation Bible School, maybe Sunday morning church, but it was a Vacation Bible School song. And we all, the best part of it is what? The crash, kind of like that song... Uh, the devil's in the way, we'll run right over him. That was always my favorite part of uh, crashing the house and running over the devil. And then I found out a few years ago it became politically uh, incorrect to say we'll run right over him. I don't know how they've changed it, but something has happened there. But So this this whole idea of the wise man and the foolish man and building a house, uh, one of the most... Uh, important things for us to understand from this little story that falls at the end of the Sermon on the Mount is that all of us are building a house and no matter where we are in our life or what we're about our attitudes the things we read, the things we see the things we do is all part of this process of of building this Jesus would say based on the Sermon on the Mount this inner home this place where we deal with God and and we're either going do are we're, we're either doing it wisely or we're doing it foolishly The other thing that grabs me about this little story this parable this picture is that this is Jesus's conclusion this is the longest recorded lesson that we have of Jesus where he just sat down on the mountainside and presented to this primarily Jewish audience and when he gets through with all of the teaching that you've been through with Uh, Greg and Kelly over the past, I guess y'all have been doing that over the past few weeks. He says, therefore. And we're either building a house the way uh, God directs and the direction contextually in this immediate context is what he's told us in the Sermon on the Mount, what you've been going through in this present context, the things that you've been through the past several months, maybe or weeks, is Jesus telling you how to how to build inside. And then and then the other general point from this passage is whether you're wise or foolish, and this is the part that Sometimes that seems a little unfair. Whether you're wise or foolish, you're going to have a flood. The rain's going to come down and the wind is going to blow. And it's not going to be some summer Colorado, two o'clock sprinkle. It's going to, Jesus says, it's going to beat against your house. And that's the story that God tells in Scripture from beginning to end. It began, of course, since that first decision in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, as they were, when they opened their eyes and they were just there, and God gave them all the things that he gave them in the garden, everything was perfect. But since God wanted them to reach out to him and not just respond to him out of some innate power that God gave them. He said, I want you to come to me. They had a decision to make. And and since that decision, we've got what we've got. Paul says the whole creation is has been groaning as in the pain of childbirth up to the present time. And it didn't stop after he wrote that in Romans chapter 8. We see it all the time. Now you ladies especially are connecting with this passage. Because no matter what we men go through in life, we could be going through the most horrible experience that ever existed and crying about it. And you would just look and say, well, have you had a baby? Because that's the bottom line for women's suffrage. Is, well, I've had a baby. God says that that's the way our world is. Our world is a difficult, trouble-ridden experience. I was talking to a friend on the phone, lives in Lubbock, we I'm, uh, yeah, in uh, Lubbock, we went to the mission field together years ago, and we were talking on the phone. And uh, he said, you know, uh, there's, uh, this world is a lot of trouble. And it is. I'm looking out at you, and I'm catching different faces that I know. And having walked with you through... Well, there's a lot of new faces, so some of you... Uh, You can ignore all this part. Um, But there's many of you, I can catch your faces. And I've been with you when you've lost your loved ones or when you've got caught in a sin or when you're struggling to get out of a sin or we've been through some storms together. And I didn't know whether I was, John, I didn't know whether I was going to be able to do this this morning because I walked over there to... um, Don't help me. Just sit there. <laughs> uh, to, I know. I know. There's a lot of people. Who are you pointing at, dummy? Um, if you're new here, they used to be used to this. It's an ongoing problem. That's why I'm gone. Um, but these these families, the left witches that I watched come here as college students, and now they have teenagers. And I've watched us I've been with you when we've died and when we struggled and when we've been so sad, that we just want to go out in the yard and howl. And that's the nature of this world. The wardens losing a son, two sons within a year. and the list goes on. This is a troubled world and it was it is the story not only of ours but it's the story of the people of the Bible all of Adam and Eve's story it's uh it's Noah's story can you imagine the time he spent building that ark every day getting up to that and we tell the story and we know the ending and everything turns out great except for the vineyard <laughs> and uh but I don't know that we think about Noah every day dealing with that. Or Abraham's walk to Moriah with Isaac and tow, The promised son that is indeed a son of promise, that's going, through whom the whole world is going to be blessed. And God says, I want you to kill him. Well, Sacrifice. It was a three-day journey from where they were until they saw the mountains of Moriah. Another day to get there. Four days. His son's following him. He's got the donkey with all the wood and everything on it. And Isaac is asking him, where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? How do you think Abraham felt in that three-day journey? Paul's dilemma in Philippians chapter 1, he wanted to stay and work with the Philippians, but yet he wanted to go and be with the Lord, and he said, I don't know what to choose. And so our world is filled with um, this beating rain, this strong wind, these trials, these troubles, these hardships. In Hebrews chapter 11, the writer talks about the victories of faith. They quench the fiery flames. They conquered kingdoms. Their weakness was turned to strength. They raised back the dead. They raised to life the dead. As well, times of trial that didn't come out so well. They faced. These are people of faith. They faced jeers and flogging. They were chained. They were imprisoned. They were sought into. They were, they were persecuted. The scary thing about the wise man and the foolish man, the difficult thing for us to accept sometimes is that uh, we get the flogging and the chains. And it wasn't because they were unfaithful. It's because that's the nature of the world we live in. It's stormy and it's difficult. And you don't know when it's going to hit. I mean, lately, uh, you know, every other day, got, we have a storm of some kind this spring, kind of natural for this time of year, but that's not like the storms we're talking about. The, the easy storms are easy. It's the hard ones that beat against the house. You, you see this reality in the songs of Israel. Read the Psalms. I am laid low in the dust. My soul is weary with sorrow. You ever felt that way? You ever felt like, you know, why me? How, can, how come this has to hurt so bad? I was talking to Dana last night about a, a problem I have. Uh-oh. I mean, the guys that know me are saying, oh, this is going to be bad. No, it's, it's this theological issue that I struggle with in my life. And I don't want, I wish I could do a miracle. And I'm not talking about something great happens and we say, oh, that's a miracle. I think it would be nice once in a while for God to walk in and like make me look good. For God to walk in kin and say, "Enough of this chemo." I'm taking it away. And now, no more waiting on nasty stuff. Until then, my soul is weary. Sometimes we're smeared with lies or our soul faints with longing. For what? For relief? For a turn for something that will lighten the load? A ram in the bush? A reseeded water? And it's hard. And I'm... Is anybody surprised by this? I mean, you think they invite me back to preach, i tell you something you don't know. But isn't this life? And every one of us knows it. Some of you don't yet, you know, but it's coming. Just don't get married. (laughs) And in the process, you know, that was a joke. Yeah, well they say, yeah, sure, we're not going to get married. That's our only goal. So So in the meantime, Peter says, and this is the part that's both encouraging and hard. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand, that in due time he will lift you up. What's the hard part of that verse? Due time. Because I want it now. I want relief now. This morning I got out and my stomach was hurting real bad. It's part of my deal now. And I didn't have any Pepto, so Danny gave me a glass of buttermilk and an apple. By the way, if you don't want to spend money on Pepto, that that, that little prescription works. Buttermilk and an apple. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that in due time you have to wait. In due time. God is still mighty and his hand is still there, but it's we've got this due time to deal with. During these periods, we have to rest in God's word. Trust in the Lord with all your might. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct you. Trust the Lord. When you boil down all the religion and all the things we do and all the things we seek to do, the bottom line is God is just saying, look, I made you. I know who you are. I know what you've done. Trust me to get you through to the end, and I will. Trust me. Just trust me. And Abraham didn't know what was going on. Noah didn't know what was going on. Adam and Eve were clearly unsure of the result of their choice experientially our job is to walk with god when the rains are falling and the wind is blowing and the waters are rising and our soul is fainting she says i'm with you always even at even to the end of this age if something comes to an end if it's your life if it's your health if it's your child, if it's some suffering that either the world has handed to you or circumstances have in some way, God says, I'm going to be right there, even though you have to cry. So Jesus, after all of his instruction in the Sermon on the Mount, he comes to this concluding passage and he He says, everyone who hears these words of mine, and I want you just to really quickly think back through the sermons that Greg and Kelly did and all of the lessons that Jesus taught in this great sermon. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise person who who built their house on the rock. And this rock here is bedrock. There are two things harder than bedrock. Diamonds and sapphires. And after that is bedrock. It's the rock beneath all the sand and the dirt and the water. It's that rock that sits at the bottom of a building to which the building is anchored, and it will not crack. It's there. And God says, if you hear my words, these words, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 specifically, and so Jesus, you know, Early service failed at this next question, utterly failed, but they're old. So Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm I'm asking for a response, I'm going to say something and you say back what Jesus said. You have heard that it was said, that's right, so say it again. But I say unto you. And there's a contrast presented in the Sermon on the Mount between what we say and what we think, what our traditions are, what our comfort zone is, what our practice is, how we feel, and what God says. How do you think those Jews felt that we're listening to Jesus, primarily a Jewish audience, and Jesus makes contrast with the law of Moses. You have heard that it was said, do not murder. And there, how many murderers we may have one. I better not ask that question. But all is forgiven in grace. But they're sitting there and they're listening to this. And Jesus says, do not murder. And, they, and like the preachers and the teachers especially were there, they were thrilled. Well, sure, I haven't done that. And he says, let me tell you what murder is. It's when you're angry with your brother. And you denigrate him. By calling him a name. That's Murder. No wonder they hated him. They were focused on form and structure and doing things exactly right. And Jesus says, you've got to go deeper than that. Whatever you've heard, whatever you've practiced, whatever your tradition is, whatever your custom is, whatever you're used to, whatever gives you pleasure is not the point. The point is what I say to you. What God says. And it begins this building of this house with a broken spirit. With a a mournful spirit about sins. A meekness toward God. A a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Have you ever been truly hungry? I mean, not just you ate a happy meal at 7 o'clock and... Now it's 11.30 and you have a tinge of hunger. So you have a couple of donuts and then at one, you have your big lunch, you know, C&J's. You know, I'm not talking about I'm a little hungry. I'm talking about have you ever been hungry? And God says, this is how I want you to be toward my words. And you see, when we're that way with God's word, it doesn't matter if he challenges us personally. Personally. Or he challenges us as a church. Or he challenges us to go down a road that's a little bit scary. It doesn't matter because we're on bedrock. Right? We're okay. We're going to win a national championship. It begins with worship that's not about form and structure. Or how we dress. Jesus says, when you give, I don't want you to get your name on a brick or a bulletin. I don't want anybody to know when you give. Don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. That's worship. When you pray, he says, don't do it so people will hear. If you want to preach, don't preach to anybody. Preach in secret in a closet. See how that goes for you, you preachers that like attention. When you pray, pray alone. It's not about the length of your prayers or the eloquence of your words. It's I had a lady call me recently from one of, one of the other towns that, where i been preaching recently. Uh, it's not the, this recent one, but it's another one because some of those people are here and I don't want to think they thought their member did this. But this lady calls me who's a friend to a lady that I knew in the other town. And she said, do, do you know who she is? <laughs> so uh, she called and she, she messaged me and she said, do you have time for me to ask you a question? I said, sure. She said, I got a bunch of money back from my income tax. And I want to give it to a needy family. Can I, will that count as my tithe? I said, well, of course not. Does that surprise you? No, I didn't. I said, and I thought of this passage. I said, God knows why you give money. If you never get it, I said, you may not get an income tax uh, write-off. But God knows when you pray. God knows when you sing. God knows when you give. God knows when you fast. And nobody else needs to know. You see, God who sees in secret rewards in secret. And that's where the bedrock begins. It's what happens inside of us between us and God. And it just sits there as this strong, unbending, unyielding foundational aspect of our lives that, and we can't lose even if we die did you hear about my sister and brother in law she goes to the doctor this is like two months ago she's got stage 4 metastatic pancreatic cancer two to six months to live couple of days later her husband goes to the doctor with pneumonia but it's not pneumonia it's stage four metastatic lung cancer he's dead in three days we're going to her funeral and his funeral next weekend watching my sister we got together went up there to see her say goodbye we sat on her bed and put on this prayer shawl that my other sister made for her and we we just held on to each other. She was next to me and the seven kids. She was the third from the bottom. She was my playmate growing up and she's the only one around. The rest of them were gone and the queen wasn't born yet. And we, we covered ourselves in that shawl and we cried and we prayed together but it was wonderful to watch the bedrock of her faith just carry her into eternity. Fine. She did it fine. And so, hearing God's word, I say unto you, our present sufferings, God's word says, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. So think about the worst day of your life, the worst moment of your life, the worst period in your life, when you felt the worst, when you just were ready to just give it up. And you just were so drained and so down, you just put that on a scale of misery. And God says, when you walk into my place, That glory, it's going to be so glorious that the highest level of suffering that you've ever endured won't even compare with the least of that glory. The Bible says, we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. It's going to be quite a moment, isn't it? The body that is sown imperishable, Ken, we're we're rolling, you know, sown perishable, raised imperishable, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown in natural body, raised a spiritual body. But the journey there isn't easy, and so we have to let God hear us. One of the greatest things, to me, is understanding that it's okay to say anything to God when you're in the middle of trial. The Bible says Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. I, I said that one time, and one, a lady that was in a class or something said, Well, that didn't work. They killed him. So I looked at her and said, Where is he now? Well, he's at God's right hand. Don't tell me it doesn't work just because we can't see or imagine the outcome. It's going to happen. This bedrock on which we place our lives is for sure. In the meantime, cry out loud if you need to to God. Tell him how you feel. Tell him you don't think it's fair. Ask him why he makes you wait. Why he doesn't take it away. The Bible says that the Lord himself, here we go, and this is in the middle of all this, this is, we wait on this, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are caught, we who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with him forever now that, that verse requires imagination so if you're gonna so what's gonna happen if we're not dead when the Lord comes back is the dead in Christ are gonna rise and then there's gonna be a sorry trumpet blast And Jesus is going to come back. And when you're still alive and you're looking up there, I might see Grandpa Forey in the crowd in his resurrected body headed back to see his namesake. Or my Grandma Grove that I've told you about so often. And who are you thinking about right now? Who are you going to see? I'm going to see my grandson that was born to... David and Sarah that left us before term. And we never knew his name or hers. I mean, do you know how great that's going to be? And it's because God is faithful. And you know that passage in Hebrews 11 where it says they, they were flogged and they slept in holes. I, mean, I mentioned earlier. You remember back that far? They slept in holes in the ground. They faced jeers and flogging. And, the, and then Jesus adds, and I love this passage. He says, The world wasn't worthy of them. The world killed them. They persecuted them. They tried to rob them of their peace and ignore their God. The world wasn't worthy of people of faith. In this stormy world, and th- uh, our God is faithful. Wise people, not perfect people, but wise people build their house on the words of God. And God's promise is, your house will not fall. That's his promise. And we've, have we not found that to be true? Yeah, it sounds like you're convinced. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. The story of the rich man and the foolish man, do you remember this? Is Is our story. It's a story that Jesus says begins with our broken hearts. And our hungering for that which is righteous. With the heart of worship that grows from the inside out. With our love for enemies and all those challenges that God gives us in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, I want you to know that this is your foundation. No matter what happens in your life, as hard as it gets, your house will not fall. And I am faithful. We're going to sing, great is thy faithfulness. And I'd I'd like to ask us all to to look down deep and sing it as we do a little panorama of where God has been when we've lost our kids and when we've buried husbands and when we've said hello to illnesses with children that don't go away. And when we've suffered through traumatic experience that has changed us in our perspective forever, and when we're facing something and we're not quite sure how we're going to get through it, remember that God, hasn't he always been there? He's faithful. And this little verse is, let the rain come down. Because your house will stand firm. That's his promise. And one of these days, I'm going to come to get you. So great is thy faithfulness. I hope today was a word of encouragement to you. And I hope that when we sing this song, I'm going to sing it with you. We're going to sing it. Have you fixed the roof yet? This roof was supposed to open so God could hear me preach they hadn't fixed it yet, these elders. <laughs> Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. Let's sing it with gusto, with praise to the glorious God who's there when the water rises. While we stand and sing. Third. There is no shadow